From Community Public Radio, this is the CPR News. From New York, I'm Don DeBar. Russia's President Vladimir Putin ordered the Russian military to secure the peace in the newly recognized Donetsk and Lugansk republics, which were officially recognized by Moscow on Monday. President Putin instructed the Defense Ministry to send peacekeepers into the Donbass region and advised the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to establish diplomatic relations with the two new states. Putin's actions followed a television address to the nation on Monday evening Moscow time, where he explained the step as a long overdue response to what he called the colonization by the West of Ukraine under the rule of a Russophobic government hostile to Moscow, denying ethnic Russians and Russian speakers basic human rights. We bring you the second half of his 58-minute address, as translated here. Do Ukrainians know about these choices? Do they understand that their country has become not even a protectorate, now it's a colony with puppets at its helm? The privatization of the state has led to the fact that the authorities that call themselves the authorities of patriots doesn't have interest of the nation, but otherwise they continue to assimilate Russian speakers by force. They are adopting more and more discriminatory decrees. Now they have a law on the native nations. Those people who think deem themselves Russian, they are let know that they do not belong in Ukraine. According to the laws on education and on Ukrainian language as a state language, Russian language is being thrown away from schools, from all public spaces, including shops. The so-called illustration law, cleansing of the power, allowed them to chase away public servants that they don't like. They adopt decrees that allow law enforcement to suppress the freedom of choice, the freedom of speech. We know the sad practice of unilateral illegitimate sanctions about other states, about the foreign individuals and legal entities. In Ukraine, they went even further than their Western partners. They came up with such an instrument as sanctions against their own citizens, entities, media outlets, even parliament members. In Kyiv, they are preparing decrees against the Russian Orthodox Church. and. That's not an emotional estimate. We have certain documents. We have decisions that is talking about this. The split in church in Kyiv, they cynically turned into an instrument of national policy. The current leadership of the country does not react to the requests of the people to cancel the laws that undermine the rights of the believers. And now they have new laws adopted against the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. And I would like to talk separately about Crimea. Population of the Crimea Peninsula made their choice to be with Russia. Ukrainian authorities have nothing to say against this. That's why they place their bets on aggression. They use cells of extremists, including the radical Islamic organizations. They are sending saboteurs to destroy vital infrastructure. They kidnap 
citizens of Russia, we have proof, we have evidence that such aggressive activities is perpetrated with the support of foreign special services. In March of 2021, Ukraine adopted new military strategy. This document almost completely aimed at confrontation with Russia. They want to drag foreign states into the conflict with our country. The strategy suggests to organize Russian Crimea and in Donbass, basically terrorist underground. And it also outlines the possible war and it is supposed to end the way the Ukrainian strategists now think with the support of international community on the beneficial conditions beneficial for Ukraine. And also, as they say in Kyiv now, and I'm quoting also, just listen to it carefully, with the military support of the world community and geopolitical confrontation against the Russian Federation. Basically, that's nothing but preparation for armed conflict against us, against Russia. We also heard statements about Ukraine wanting to create their own nuclear weapon. And that's not just idle threat. Ukraine really has nuclear technology and carriers to de deliver such weapons back from the Soviet times. And they have Tochka U launchers also designed in the Soviet Union. It has range of more than 100 kilometers and they can increase that. It's a matter of time. They still have this technology from the Soviet times. So getting tactical nuclear weapon will be much easier for Ukraine than for certain other states. I'm not going to list them that are now researching this, especially if they have technological support from abroad. And we can't exclude this. If Ukraine has a weapon of mass destruction, the situation in the world, in Europe, especially for us, for Russia, will change drastically. We cannot help but react to this real threat, especially since I would like to reiterate that there are Western backers, they can help Ukraine with getting this weapon to create yet another threat for our country, because we can see how consistently they are pumping Ukraine with weapons. The United States alone, starting from 2014, transferred billions of dollars, including the arms supply, training personnel. In recent months, Western weapons are sent to Ukraine ceaselessly in front of the eyes of the entire world. The activities of the Ukrainian army is governed by the foreign consultants, and we are well aware of that. Last year, under the pretext of the war games, the military contingents of the NATO countries were deployed in Ukraine. The Ukrainian army is already integrated into NATO. It means that Ukrainian units, Ukrainian army units can be done directly from the NATO headquarters. The, the West started to explore the territory of Ukraine as the future theater of military action, as the future battlefield, and it is aimed against Russia. Last year alone, it had more than 20,000 troops and more than 1,000 equipment, hardware units. And NAPFR, they have already adopted a law to allow the foreign troops to enter the territory of Ukraine to participate in the war games. And first of all, it means the NATO troops. And this year they planned no less than 10 drills like that. And it serves as a cover 
to increase the NATO contingent in Ukraine, especially since the network of airfields, Borispol, Ivano-Frankovsk, Chuguyev, Odessa, and so on, it can be used to deploy troops in shortest terms. The airspace for Ukraine is open for reconnaissance and strategic planes of NATO, unmanned drones that are used to to monitor the territory of Russia. And the Naval Operations Center built by the Americans in Ochakov allows NATO ships to use it as a port and allows to use high-precision weapons against Black Sea Navy and our entire infrastructure on the Black Sea coast. Some time ago, the U.S. wanted to build such infrastructure in Crimea, but the population of Crimea and Sevastopol, they said, prefer no, and we will remember that. But now, this center has already been built and deployed in Ochakov. And I would like to remind you, in 18th century, Alexander Suvorov's soldiers fought for this city, and it's their bravery allowed it to add this city to Russia. Back then, in the 18th century, the Black Sea coastlands that were fought from got from Turkey, from Osman Ottoman Empire, was given name of Novorossiya. Now they want to forget this name, like they want to forget the deeds of the famous commanders, without which Ukraine itself wouldn't have access to the Black Sea. Recently in Poltava, they demolished the monument to Alexander Suvorov. Well, what can I say? You are renouncing your own past, the so-called colonial legacy of the Soviet Empire. Well, be consistent then. Okay. Article 17 of the Constitution of Ukraine doesn't allow military bases of foreign states to be deployed in their territory, but it seems that it can be bypassed. They have deployed training missions of the NATO countries in Ukraine. Basically, that's a military base already. They just call it a mission, and it's done. In Kyiv, they have long declared strategic aim at joining NATO. Yes, obviously, every country has the right to choose their own alliances to sign military agreements. That's true, but there is one. But in international law, it says the principle there is a principle of indivisible security, which states that one country cannot enhance its security at the expense of security of others. And I can refer here to the European Security OAC Charter that was adopted in Istanbul in 1999 and Astana OSC Declaration from 2010. In other words, choosing means to enhance one's security should not create any threats for other states. And if Ukraine was to join NATO, would serve as a direct threat to the security of Russia. And I would remind you, back in April of 2018 at the Bucharest summit of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, USA forced these members to make a decision that certain states were to join NATO. A lot of European allies already back then understood all the risks of such a step, but they had to subdue to the will of their older partner. Americans used them to pursue anti-Russian policy. Some NATO members still skeptical about Ukraine joining NATO. And from some European capitals, we get a signal 
they are saying, so what are you worrying about? It's not going to happen tomorrow. And now our American counterparts are saying the same. We say, okay, it is not going to happen tomorrow, but the day after tomorrow then, what will it change in historical context? Nothing. More than that, we know the stance and the statements of the U.S. leadership about the active confrontation military actions in the east of Ukraine would not stop Ukraine to join NATO if it will correspond to the criteria of the NATO Charter and if they can overcome corruption. And they try to convince us that NATO is a peaceful and defensive bloc, so there is no threat for Russia. And they, again, suggest we believe their words. But we already know the value of such words. Back in 1990, when we talked about uniting Germany, the USA promised to the Soviet leadership that neither jurisdiction nor military presence would not move an inch to the east, and unification of Germany would not lead to the eastward expansion of NATO. And I'm quoting here, so they were saying all these things, they were giving us assurances, but these were just words later, they started saying that Central European and Eastern European countries joining NATO will improve their relations with Moscow, will read these countries from the fears of their difficult historical legacy. And more than that, it will allow them to create this belt of the friendly nations. But it was the other way around. These states are now bringing their stereotypes, their complexes of the Russian threat to NATO. They insisted on increasing potential of collective security that was supposed to be deployed against Russia, first of all. And it was happening back in the 1990s and early 2000s, when, because of the openness and goodwill, our goodwill, relations between Russia and the West were at high level. Russia fulfilled all its obligations withdrew troops from Germany, from the Central and Eastern European countries, and it made a huge contribution in overcoming the legacy of the Cold War. We consistently suggested all kinds of cooperation, including in the format of the Russian NATO Council and OSCE. More than that, I will say one thing that I have never said before in public. I will say it for the first time. Back in 2000, when President Bill Clinton was visiting Moscow at the end of his term. I asked him how would America see Russia joining NATO? I would not give you all the details of that conversation, but the reaction to my conversation looked, well, very reserved, let me put it this way. And how did Americans really look at this possibility? You can see it in their practical steps in regard to our country, open support of the terrorists in North Caucasus, ignoring our demands and our concerns in the security area, withdrawing from the treaties, arms treaties, and so on and so forth. It still begs the question, why? Why did they do that? What for? Okay, you don't want to see friend in us, an ally in us, but why do you want to make an enemy out of us? The only answer that we got was, it's not about our political regime or anything else, it's just they don't need such a big and 
independent country is Russia. So that's the answer to all the questions. That's the source of traditional American policy they pursue in the Russian track. That's why they react like this to all our proposals about security. You only need to look at the map to see how did the Western countries keep their word about non-expansion of NATO eastwards. They just lied to us. We had five waves of NATO expansion. In 1999, Poland, Czech Republic, Hungary were joint NATO. In 2004, Bulgaria, Estonia, Lithuania, Slovakia, Romania and Slovenia. In 2009, Albania and Croatia. In 2017, Montenegro. And 2020, North Macedonia. As a result, the alliance, its military infrastructure has drawn really close to the borders of Russia. That's one of the reasons, of the key reasons of the security crisis. It affected the entire system of international relations. The mutual trust was lost. The situation continues to get worse in strategic area as well. In Romania and in Poland, as part of the U.S. project, they deploy anti-missile defensive systems. We all know that the launchers deployed there can be used for cruise missiles Tomahawk. That is a strike weapon, strike system. And USA is also developing Standard 6 missile. It can not only be used as an anti-missile defensive tool, it can strike at targets on land and on the sea. So they are expanding their infrastructure and they get new offensive capabilities. From the information that we get, we have every reason to believe that further deploying the sites, the facilities of North Atlantic Treaty Organization, this decision has already been made. That's just a matter of time. We understand clearly that under this scenario, the level of military threat for Russia will be increased manifold. I would like to draw your attention once again that there will be bigger threat of immediate attack against our country. In American strategic documents, in their doctrine, there is such a possibility of preventive work against the missile complexes of the adversary. And who is the main adversary of the United States? We all know that. Russia. In NATO documents, our country is officially directly called a main threat to the North Atlantic security. And Ukraine will serve as the platform for such an offense. If our ancestors heard about that, they would probably thought that it's impossible. We don't want to believe that either, but that's how it is now. I want people from Russia and Ukraine to understand that. Many Ukrainians airfield are positioned close to our borders and strategic NATO airplanes using high precision weapons can strike targets in Logograd, Samar and Kazan and Astrahan. Using reconnaissance tool will allow NATO to control the airspace of Russia up until the Urals. And finally, after the US withdrew from the INF Treaty, the Pentagon has openly started developing a whole range of the land-based missiles with a range of 5,500 kilometers. If such systems are deployed in Ukraine, they can hit the targets in the European Russia and also behind the Euros. 
and the travel time of the Tomahawk missiles to Moscow will be less than 35 minutes, ballistic missiles 7-8 minutes, and the hypersound offensive weapons 4-5 minutes. That's like having a knife against our throat, and I have no doubt they plan to implement these ideas. And as it has been done previously when they expanded NATO to the east, moving infrastructure, military infrastructure closer to our borders, ignoring our protests and our warnings, they just didn't care about that. They did whatever they deemed necessary and appropriate. And I believe they plan to continue doing like that. Because they see us as a dog barking at the caravan. We have never agreed to that, and we never will. Russia was always standing for resolving the most difficult issues at the negotiating table. Diplomatically, we understand our response, responsibility for global stability. Back in 2008, Russia has come up with an initiative on signing an agreement about European security. And its idea was, its gist was, that no state, no international organization and European Atlantic could not enhance its security at the expense of security of others. But our suggestion was refuted from the get-go because we can't allow Russia to limit the activities of NATO. We were told that legally binding guarantees of security only NATO members can have such guarantees. And last December, we have sent our partners the draft document about security guarantees and also the draft agreement on the measures of enhancing Russian security and NATO member security. In response, NATO members and the U.S. were saying a lot of words. There was some reasonable ideas, but they were talking only about secondary things. And it looked as an attempt to bring this discussion away from the main point. And we reacted in kind. I would like to emphasize that we are ready to negotiate, but only on the condition that all matters will be considered as a package in complex without going away from the main proposals made by Russia. And those have three main items. Firstly, non-expansion of NATO to the east, non-deployment of offensive weapons next to the Russian borders, and finally bringing back the military infrastructure back to the Confederation of 1997 when the founding act was signed between Russia and NATO. These principled proposals were ignored. Our Western partners, once again, they were saying same old words that every state has freedom to choose ways to enhance its security, to provide its security, to join any military alliances. So nothing changed in their position. They talk about the same open doors policy. More than that, once again, they try to blackmail us. Once again, they threaten us with sanctions. And I think they will still impose those, introduce those as strong and as more powerful our country becomes. They will always find an excuse to introduce more sanctions. 
regardless of the situation in Ukraine, that is. The only goal they have is to contain the development of Russia. And they will do that like they did it before, without any formal excuse, only because we exist. And we will never concede our sovereignty, our national interest, and our values. And I want to be frank. In the current situation, when our proposals about equitable dialogue, about principled matters, had no response from the U.S. and NATO, when the level of threat for our country is becoming greater and greater, Russia has every right to take countermeasures to enhance our own security. And that's how we plan to act. As for situation in Donbass, we can see that the Kyiv elite keeps stating publicly about lack of willingness to implement the Minsk agreements to settle the conflict. They are not interested in peaceful resolution. Vice versa, they want to start blitzkrieg like it happened back in 2014 and 2015. And you remember what those, how it ended. Now, almost every day, they are shelling settlements in Donbass. They have amassed large troops. They are using offensive, unmanned vehicles and other heavy machinery, torturing people, children, women, elderly people. It doesn't stop. It doesn't cease. We see no end to it. And the so-called civilized world and our Western colleagues proclaim themselves as the only representatives of this free world. They prefer not to notice this, as if there is nothing like this happening. There is no genocide perpetuated against almost 14 million people. And the only reason is that these people didn't want to back the coup d'etat in 2014. They stood against the nationalist movement, the movement towards nationalism, Stone Age nationalism and Nazism, and they want to defend their basic rights to live on their land, to speak their native language, to preserve their traditions and their culture. How much longer that could go on? How much longer can they bear it? Russia did everything it could to keep the territorial integrity of Ukraine. We tried hard to implement the resolution of the Security Council of UN 2202 that endorsed the Minsk agreements on resolving the situation in Donbass. But everything was done in vain. The presidents are changing, the parliament members are changing, but the idea of the aggressive regime is still the same, regime that seized the power in Kyiv. It was created by the coup d'etat of 2014, and those who chose the way of violence, they admit they see no other way to resolve the Donbas crisis other than the military way. In this regard, I deem it necessary to make a decision that should have been made long time ago, to immediately recognize the independence and sovereignty of Donetsk People's Republic and Lugansk People's Republic. And I would like to in 
request the Federal Assembly to support, to back this decision and ratify the agreement of friendship and mutual help with both republics. We will draft this document and sign these documents in the near future. And those who seize the power and keep the power in Kyiv, we demand to stop hostilities immediately. Otherwise, all the responsibility for the possible continuation of the bloodbath will be on the consciousness of the regime that is ruling in Kyiv. By declaring these decisions, I'm confident that I will have support of the people of Russia, all the patriotic forces of Russia. Thank you for your attention. And that's all the news we have for you right now. For Community Public Radio, I'm Don DeBar in New York. Thanks for listening.